Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode five of the Lean Whiskey podcast. I'm joined today with uh, another guest host, Jamie Flinchball. We'll be back again the next episode, but we're joined today uh, by Paul Critchley. Paul, how are you? Good, Mark. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I'm happy we could do the podcast. Um, I guess the criteria so far has been things including we have actually sat together and and shared a whiskey together in person, (laughs) right? Yeah, we finally get to to do that after years of right? Online back and forth and phone calls and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how we started corresponding and collaborating on things. And, um, but you know, first for, for listeners who, who don't know you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, for the audience? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, Paul Critchley, I'm the president of New England Link Consulting. We're based just outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I'm a degree mechanical engineer and, and like you got my start out of college in the automotive industry. And that's kind of where I got, uh, introduced to lean at first. Um, and then just kind of, kind of grew from there and, uh, opened up new England lean consulting in, in 2012 and, and haven't looked back since. So we, we, we may fall, we may lapse, we may throw the plan aside and, and fall back into auto industry war stories, right? Yeah, well, that's probably that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> that would be a good title for a podcast, maybe auto industry war stories. Uh, where where were you in the auto industry? I, I think I know this, but uh, so I was at a tier one uh, called the Torrington Company, and that does actually doesn't even exist anymore. Timken bought them, geez, mm. 15, 20 years ago now. Um, so we made bearings. So uh, for a big part of the uh, you know, my first seven, eight years in my career was spent uh, as a design and application engineer. So there were plenty of times when, uh, well, for instance, I was the application engineer for the GM4T65. So any bearing or bearing component that we made that was in that transmission, and at the time, GM used to make 6,500 of those things a day. Um, wow. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, as a young engineer, it was kind of mind-blowing because people think bearings right? It's not sexy. It's buried in deep in the guts of a transmission. You'll, you know, the average person will never, ever see these things, but it really drove home the importance of, I mean, we used to machine things and grind things down to millions uh, when we made needle roller bearings. And if we were just a little bit off, it could, it could create a lot of very expensive problems. So it really hammered home for me. And something I've carried with me my whole career that, you know, even though you look on, you can zoom in on a computer screen and, and make a blueprint, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you could be a mile off with and it wouldn't make a hill of beans a difference. There's other things, like I said, if you're a millionth or a tenth off, it means, you know, the difference between success and failure. Yeah. So. I, so the, uh, the, the other day, a friend of mine who, um, is a huge fan of the movie Fletch. I'm not quite the aficionado. It's been a while, but there, there's this T-shirt being advertised on on Facebook. Of uh, there's a, there's a line from the the movie Fletch with Chevy Chase. It's all ball, ball bearings nowadays. <laughs> oh yeah, 
So it was that all was a popular when you were there, right? Yeah, that was a popular one. We used to throw around the office. Yeah. Even though technically it was a different division, but yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're I, a spinal tap guy, right? That yeah. that's the movie I know by heart. Yeah. yeah. Do you, <laughs> um, but you, you talk about those, you know, the the tight tolerances. I mean, when I was at General Motors, they, you know, we were doing engine parts and machining and GM would brag about um, things were being built to aerospace tolerances while they were designed to aerospace tolerances. Yeah. And there was this crazy dynamic. Here we go into auto industry war stories. Um, manufacturing thought the tolerances were crazy tight. Like they thought they were unnecessarily tight. So they didn't respect the tolerances and they wouldn't hold to them. And then, then the next iteration design would say, well, manufacturing doesn't respect the tolerances, so we have to make them even tighter, which made right. manufacturing respect them even less. It was just this really weird cycle. I, yeah, I've, I've gotten caught in that. And actually, since you brought up aerospace, so another part of my career, I was a middle manager in engineering at uh, an aerospace manufacturer in Connecticut. Same type of thing. We, we actually had a situation where in manufacturing, we could machine and bend metal and assemble everything, and everything would be within tolerance. But the design engineers had admittedly made a mistake. And when you stacked up all of these components, and there were hundreds of these things, um, we could actually be out of tolerance on this one particular dimension in the assembly. And we, did, we only made five of these products a month. And every other or every third one was always out of tolerance. And, you know, we'd have to go through, we'd have to write it up on what we used to call a quality notification or a QN mm -hmm. and go through the motions. You know, engineering would have to come down and look at it. And then, you know, material, material review engineering would have to, and it was like a week-long ordeal. And every single time they'd sign it off because they recognized their fault <clears throat> until it gets to the point, you know, so three or four months go to, you know, down the road. I'm, I'm like, guys, this is ridiculous. This is the dumbest thing ever. I'm like, why do we keep doing this? And, right. and the response you brought up was the same response I got. And they said, because if, if we give you got you guys air quotes, manufacturing, if we give you guys, you know, this, and they hold their hands out, you're going to want this. And then they right, extend their, their hands yeah. out further. And it's like, this is not the partnership that, that makes our company successful, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think back to where we, we first met. I mean, I think, you know, had we corresponded before? Like you responded to, I kind of put a call out asking, since I'm not so much a manufacturing person anymore, when I was looking for someone to be kind of a semi-regular manufacturing blogger on lean blog is, is that where we first got connected um yep that was it because i had followed you right uh, for a long long time at lean blog and when i saw that notice come out it was shortly after i had started out on my own so i said you know what i think this could be you know could be good for both of us it gives you some content and certainly that's where i've spent my whole entire career on the shop floor yeah. and you know it'll it'll give me some uh some um, notorieties. I, I hope it was the I wrong was, word. Well, I hope it was good exposure. <laughs> there you go. There, yes, it was. It was good exposure. So yeah, 
and that was how we, yeah, that's how we first, uh, yeah, I kicked it all off. And that was, geez. I, well, I, I pulled it up years ago. Blog. Uh, well, it was, I think 2015 was the first guest post and you were writing stuff through 2017. And I'm going to officially give you grief for not writing something um, since 2017, but Hey, the, the door's always open. If you would, if you'd like to write something. Again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will. I will. I probably, I haven't even blogged on our own site in, a, in over a year. Ah, all right. Well, I, I so there's nothing personal. Not thinking of that personally, but Hey, I'll, I'll put, <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, the page on lean blog with, with Paul's posts and uh, I'll, I'll link to Paul's blog as well. So you know, we're, we're here. Oh, I was going to say one, one other thing we collaborated on when we got to have the whiskey in person, Paul invited me to come to Massachusetts back in May. Uh, we, I did uh, a workshop based on my book measures of success. So Paul, thank you for um, helping instigate that and making the invitation and um, helping put that together. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm so glad you were able to come up. Thanks for making the trip. I mean, it was easy for me. I, I live an hour and a half from the place where we were at. I know it was a plane ride for you both ways. So I certainly appreciate it. I know I got a lot of good feedback from the folks there. Some of our clients um, had shown up and I've seen them since and they all have said how, you know, how important it was and how much they got out of it. So thanks again, Mark, for making the trip. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the end on cord real quick. Your your sound volume dropped yeah, oh. quite dramatically. Did you move away from the microphone? No, I've, it's a handheld mic. I've got it right in my uh, right in my hand. Is it still bad? It, it got better. Um, I, I can I can go back and I think in that section try to adjust the volume upward. Hmm. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. So right. everything still seems to be okay. Whoops, no, you got really muffled again. That's weird. Now you're okay. I, I'm not even... Um, hmm. So maybe okay. I won't edit this out. This is us struggling with real-time problem solving. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, we're leave, both I'm mechanical engineers, right? So <laughs> I'm looking uh, at cords. I'm like, it's plugged in. That should work. Stop stepping on the cord. That's how electricity flows, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Electrical engineers who are listening uh, may give us grief. Right. Yeah, I okay. rolled. Yeah. Eh, I'm going to leave that in the podcast. Why, why not? But, right. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do the workshop and you got good feedback about that. And, and one thing I, gosh, I do this on the blog. I, I'm, I, you know, Hey, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Um, Paul knows the, uh, the chaos that I created for myself when I arrived to Framingham, Massachusetts, which as far as auto industry war stories go, Framingham was like famously the site of the General Motors plant that Womack and Jones and company highlighted in uh, the machine that changed the world is like the bad General Motors plant. Isn't that where Framingham, uh, one, one thing they're known for? Am I remembering I, that right, Paul? Do you know? I, you could be correct. It's been a long time since I read that book. But I, I, I anyway, um, off on a tangent from me being a knucklehead, um, I arrived to Framingham very late. I think I'd had a flight delay and I got in, it was like 1130 and I got to the Sheraton where Paul had arranged the conference. I had failed to book a hotel room. I cannot remember when that failure mode um, ever occurred and they were full. 
and uh, there was there was no room in the inn. And thankfully, the Motel Six across the highway, and it was a bit of, not a freeway, but it was a bit of a highway. They left the light on for me, as they say, and uh, Paul picked me up at the Motel Six. So thank you. Yeah. So I'll tell you. So just for the listeners' benefit. So on my end, you know, I have a, I have an iPhone. And I have it set to do not disturb automatically from 10 p.m. to uh, uh, 6 a.m. So that particular day, I obviously had to get up early because I had to get up to Framingham and everything. So when I got up, it was like 4.30 or 5 that morning. And I checked my phone. And if I do it manually, the do not disturb kind of like I can override it. And I had right. these frantic texts from Mark. <laughs> like, yeah, I screwed up. I'm over here. Please, you know, so I, t- I made sure I texted you right back as soon as mm-hmm. yes, I got it. I will see you. It's no problem. So, I had nobody, work. I had nobody to blame but myself. And I, and I, I like to think I have a fairly good process where I track travel and engagements and have I booked to travel or not and where, and I just flat blew it. So. It, you know what? It happens, Mark. I've gone on trips and quite frankly, since we're being honest, I've, I've gone on trips and I forgot underwear. It's like how, like everything, everything else, you know, it's like, yeah. no, I guess I'm going to Target. I, yeah, I blogged uh, last year. I, I forgot socks on a trip to San Diego and it's not like it was downtown San Diego. It was like, it's some distant resort that was, uh, not not near anything. And so, yeah, I, I guess maybe in California you can get away with that. Yeah, I know, right? Without socks, like you fit right. Nobody even notice. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a, a good. It, it was a bit of a. It was, it was part of an opener for the the lean session around. Hey, we we're all human. We all make mistakes, and that's why we need better process. Yeah, I think the healthcare people related to that, and some of the people in the crowd were wearing shorts. So I mean, I guess <laughs> right. So um, so it's lean whiskey, and I'm I'm kind of sipping on something. A little bit here, and you know, it's uh, we're fun talk with a lean spirit, as our uh, slogan for the podcast says. So, one thing I always do is you know, we spend a little bit of time talking about what are you drinking, and I think our theme today, I'll let Paul go first. Our theme is a distillery that you visited recently, yeah. So, um, I will freely admit that I am not a uh, whiskey snob. By any stretch, I, I, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm a I'm a straight up Jack Daniels guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but so w- we have two daughters, and uh, so we so school just let out. Well, I say just; it's like five weeks ago now. So uh, um, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, on vacation, which was a bit of a hike. But one of the oh, things you did a road trip. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, we uh, we drove down in two days and back in two days, so uh, shameless plug. So we we caught the uh, Red Sox Orioles game at Camden Yards. Love Camden Yards, beautiful park, and the Red Sox walloped them. It was thirteen <laughs> to two, which is great. Yeah, right. It's because we're you know I'm all New England, right? So I'm a Sox fan. But that's a good. So we got good down stop. to stop. Yeah, yeah. So we got down to Gatlinburg, and uh, we had plenty of things um, planned out with the kids to do. And one of the things that I hadn't planned, but it was a pleasant surprise, is um, in that area, Gatlinburg, uh, Pigeon Forge, there's a distillery called Old Smoky. And these are guys, they started making, there was a, a, a change in the law in Tennessee, because uh, for the longest time, it was uh, illegal to make moonshine. 
so um, somewhere in like 08 or 09, I think the, the law changed. So this family said, hey, why don't we start making moonshine? So that's what they called it was Old Smoky Moonshine. And they have something like 30 or 40 different uh, flavors of this stuff now. And they actually, they boast being the most visited distillery in the world. Oh, which I found is a huge visitor draw to begin yeah. with, right? Yep, yep. And I think that's where they get a boost because like, for instance, Jack Daniels is in Lynchburg and that's pretty, you know, that's kind of out hmm. a ways. Like you, if you're going to go there, that's what you're going there yeah. for. Whereas just like me, we went to Gatlinburg to do, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff and this just happened to be there. But yeah. Anyways, um, they also in, so that was 2010, they started making moonshine. In 2016, they, um, they expanded. So they started making whiskey. So I am drinking Old Smoky straight bourbon whiskey. And, and to interject on moonshine a little bit, um, it's funny, the, the word has different meanings, right? So there's a show, Moonshiners, that I've, I think I've only seen one episode of, my sister and brother-in-law had told me about that. And moonshine is, you know, it's slang or a term for, uh, you know, illegally distilled whiskey, but then moonshine, like when it's sold as a commercial product is also kind of a, a label for unaged whiskey, which, which is clear. You know, I think sometimes people don't realize at least with something like straight bourbon whiskey, you know, that, that federal designation, the only color in that whiskey comes from the barrels, right? So you have a clear product with that four years of aging, um, turns it into a much, a much different product with that aging. That's right. Yep. So that was, it's kind of almost a natural progression, I think for them. Um, yeah. but they had, you know, they had, uh, tastings and I, I, you know, with a, a couple of pre-teenage kids, I couldn't carve out the mm. time to go to go do that for a few hours, but maybe on another trip. Did, uh, did the kids, did you do the tour? So you did the tour though. They, they got to see the process. Is that right? No, I didn't get, I, we didn't get to do that either. They had this, um, there is one of the distilleries is right in kind of downtown Gallenberg and they have, it's almost like a little self-guided tour. It's just windows that you can look in. And, uh, and they have little, like those little plaques by the window and they tell you, here's what you're looking at. This is what, you know, this is where the, you know, the mash is and this is what happens and this is how it ferments and all that kind of stuff. So I looked at that. We walked around the, uh, the company store and that, but that yeah. really was about it. So I okay. just grabbed well, a bottle of uh, bourbon and, and get out of there. Oh, okay. Well, so well, you, you visit their facility, but yeah, seeing that display of talking about here's how the process works before we started recording, we, we talked about something we've all participated in dog and pony shows when an executive or a politician is coming to your facility. Sometimes, yeah, you give them the tour that here's the representation of the Gemba, not necessarily actual Gemba. Right. Yep. Right. It's all, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's as much as they're going to absorb from it anyways. Yeah. It's just putting the spit and polish on the, on the place. Yeah. Now, I, th I think sometimes I, I, I've, I've seen kids. So my wife and I were in um, Louisville and, and the, the Louisville area recently. And we, we drove out a little bit and went to a few distilleries that are not right downtown. There was at least one tour where there was uh, a kid on the tour. And then when it got to the tasting time, 
clearly the kid couldn't participate in that, but there were like different little uh, snacks and pairings and, you know, they, they gave him water and he was able to have the snacks, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting <laughs> to see anything being made. And, you know, I think, well, so, so what I'm drinking and I'm, I'm going <coughs> to pause and cough. It's not because of the whiskey. I'm not, yeah. Some of the listeners might say, yeah, it's the whiskey. It's the whiskey. <laughs> what crap are you drinking? But I have a sip of water here. So um, I'm drinking a whiskey that's uh, from a distillery that we did get to visit um, right near downtown Louisville. Uh, it's a producer called Rabbit Hole, and I'm drinking Rabbit Hole straight bourbon whiskey finished in PX Sherry casks. So, you know, for, for listeners who know, you know, the, the rules and, and the process for what makes something straight bourbon whiskey, what Paul's drinking and what, what's, what, what I'm drinking, we're going through a similar process, but then uh, mine has uh, you know, this, this additional secondary aging in old um, sherry casks. And the little tag around the bottle says it's a, a gold medal winner from some spirits competition in 2017. And, you know, their, their, their distillery just opened for tours last year. And um, it, it was good to have the chance to go. And they're distilling now. They're doing everything end to end on the same roof. This bottle, when you, when you look at the fine print, it has kind of the weasel language here. It says, bottled by Rabbit Hole Distillery, Louisville, Kentucky. So I think the bottle I have uh, is from an earlier era, era. This is not at all uncommon. Like when a distillery is getting ramped up, they often buy other people's whiskey and then finish it and they put it out under their own label. Um, yeah, that's pretty, um, I think that's pretty common practice, isn't it? Isn't there like there's a handful of very large producers and then there's a lot of the craft guys that do just what you said. They kind of finish it. Yeah. You know, one or two steps at the end and put their own personal kind of spin on the flavoring or whatever in it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's startup strategies, right? Cause if you're going to wait four years to go to market that, you know, you, you've got to have deep pockets to help fund that. Right. Um, so like we, we went to Michter's in Louisville and again, they were very transparent about saying like, Hey, when we're ramping up, we or we're, we're, bottling, aging and bottling other people's whiskey. And where, where I take issue with it is where they're um, somewhat misleading and they don't admit that. Michter's now has their own distilling operations and, and they're doing more of that value stream uh, mm-hmm. along the way. And, and some producers uh, sell quote unquote moonshine or they'll call it white dog or they'll call it uh, you know unaged whiskey because again, the time to market is a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So there, there's, there's manufacturing and product development issues here, right? <laughs> right, right. But um, the other thing I was going to say about Rabbit Hole, um, you know, it's a brand new facility. And they, they even emphasized in the tour, like how the building was built around the process. So like sometimes people say form follows function. I think they literally used the phrase form follows process, which I as, as a, as a lean guy, as much as I try to shut that off, uh, I was really impressed because like you go to old distilleries and the process flow is uh, pretty convoluted because they've grown and expanded and added resources and capacity over time. Uh, if anyone gets a, a chance to go see rabbit hole, 
um, it, there, there's a really good flow to the building. So that was one thing I was impressed with beyond the whiskey. Yeah, that is that that is pretty cool because it's as you mentioned, it's so it's so rare. Far, I think far more popular is is mm -hmm. the latter that you described, where it's, hey, we started out and then we added on and then we added on again and then we, you know, bought this other building across the parking lot. And, <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. We have we have clients, especially here in New England. You know, for any listeners up around here, you'll you know, there's a lot of old mill buildings that are very close to you know rivers and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a lot of that same kind of mentality. You're trying to, you know, kind of sort of fit a square peg in a round hole until it gets to the point where it just, they under, it's like, this is just not going to work. We can't, yeah. we can't, you know, uh, get our business built around a, you know, circa mm. 1820s brick building that's three <laughs> floor, you know, it's 30 feet wide, but it's three floors tall. It's just, it's not going to work. Well, you've got all this amazing industrial history in the Northeast where let's say, you know, here, here in Texas, it's all relatively greenfield sites, if you will. And I think rabbit hole was definitely a greenfield site where they had the chance to build what made sense for them. And a lot of hospitals are hampered by that as they've grown and expanded and added on wings and buildings. And you, you've got, decades or in some cases centuries, you know, two centuries of history. You know, there, there was a hospital I worked with in England 10 years ago and they said, you know, just the maintenance cost and the pain in the butt factor of some of the, you know, these buildings that were literally 200 years old, it would have been at some point they have to decide, is it cheaper to just build a completely brand new hospital someplace else and mm. suck it up and rip the bandaid off and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge upfront cost versus lingering costs yeah. and annoyances over time. And I'll, yeah, it's, I'll tell you, the uh, hospital where both of our daughters were born is exactly that. It's a couple hundred years old. They actually don't even uh, deliver babies there anymore because it's one of those things where they did the math and they said, hey, we're just not making any money on this. So they've really pared, mm -hmm. pared back the... Um, services. So it's kind of, a, you know, and, and the wing that they had where, you know, uh, maternity, where her, our daughters were born was relatively modern, but again, it was because it had been added on to and, and still even getting there, it was kind of a, you know, there are all those, you know, the yellow and blue and red lines. So you, 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 you know, you, you go to a reception and they say, okay, follow the blue line up until the stairs, go up the stairs and then grab the green line and then walk over. It's like, <laughs> it sounds you know, like the trains of, in Boston. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was, it was, you know, a little bit of a maze just to get to where we needed to go. So just like Boston. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no I'll tell you, the last time I drove in Boston, I drove <laughs> the wrong way down a one way street <laughs> and it was noon. And anybody who's been in Boston, just, just all you got to do is Google, you know, Google Boston Mass. Look at maps and look at a satellite image. Yeah, you'll understand because it it makes absolutely no sense. I'll drive in New York City anytime because it's a giant grid and everything's numbered, and yeah. it just makes sense. <clears throat> and Boston, forget it. From now on, I take the T in. I uh, I park in Newton, take the T in, and I walk the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're brave to have driven in Boston and driving the wrong way down a one-way street. A lot of people probably do that, not not because they didn't know, but man, what the hell, I'm going to just do it. Right, and I'll tell you the, the, the best part. Now, looking back at it, when I was, you know, sitting at the light 
and I see three lanes of traffic coming at me was, was stressful. But prior to that, <clears throat> a policeman on a, on a bicycle, and he was on duty because he was uniformed up, actually like rode right past me and didn't even, didn't even look at me or anything. So maybe you're right. Maybe it happens way more often than, yeah. than I thought. You didn't hit anybody, so I guess it's okay. No, no, it was no, you know, there was no harm, no foul. I eventually <laughs> got to where I needed to go, but yeah, yeah, it was a little white knuckle there for for a bit. Yeah. All right, so let, let's let's move um, let's move into a couple of articles that we're going to talk about here today. Um, I'm going to introduce an article first. A lot of times we talk about things that were in the news, and uh, I, I don't really have a news article per se this time, but there there was a good article, a column, if you will, written in the LEI Lean Post uh, by Dr. Lisa Yarian, who um, I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. She's at Cleveland Clinic, and she's the um, medical champion for lean, I guess, just, you, you know, describe, it's not, there, there's a formal term that I'm blanking on, but, you know, they have an interesting structure there where there's, uh, you know, an industrial engineer uh, Nate Hurl and uh, Dr. Yarian, uh, very much you know, working together, you know, with their different perspectives, um, you know, with their lean efforts. So Lisa wrote a piece, and we'll link to it in in the show notes, or you can Google it. Um, it's called "How Are You Supporting Your Own Lean Transformation," and it's a follow up to a piece that was also uh, I thought pretty thought provoking. Um, Another piece she wrote earlier, um, stop asking your leaders to, quote, support your lean transformation, which I, I think there, there's a different conversation there. What, what does that mean, support, and, and do they need to do more than support? But here, here's a quick excerpt from Lisa's piece about are you supporting your own? So she said, last month during a breakout session at the Lean Healthcare Summit, a participant shared a story about a lean team member who complained about physician leadership not being engaged. The storyteller simply asked, have you asked them to? And Lisa said, I wanted, I just wanted to go shake her hand. So that resonated with me because on a couple of levels, I, 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 I hear um, uh, people complain about a lack of physician engagement and lean. And I've often kind of turned around that same question, like, well, engagement doesn't magically happen. What are you doing to engage them? And you know, Lisa, I think, also brought up a good point in the piece that when, when there are complaints like this, we need to try to prompt people, whether it's complaints about the process or complaints about something, trying to turn that those complaints into Kaizen or improvement, and that starts with us. So, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you have examples, even back in manufacturing, about, you know, questions around engagement or complaints about leadership engagement and trying to do something about it instead of just complain. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it is interesting. I, I read that article and I, I was kind of thinking about it before we hopped on here. Um, it, it, cause I think you're right. I think there's a, a, a I don't want to say natural, but it seems to be popular. I'll say to kind of beat up on leadership. And, and I, just because someone's a leader doesn't mean they necessarily are right? Any smarter than anybody else or any better than anybody else. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can, can turn you into, you know, put you in a position that you, I'll say either a leader or a manager. And I know, you know, the, the conversation between what's a manager, what's a leader, that's a whole nother 
a whole nother topic. But I guess my point is I've, I've been in management for a, a long, long time. And it wasn't necessarily because I was the best engineer that there ever was, right? It's just that's kind of where my career took me. That's where I, my interests lie or laid. Um, but at the same time, it, it doesn't mean, like I said, that just because you're in leadership that you're going to be so much better at everything than everybody else. And that's one of the things that jumped out at me when I read that article. And because and it kind of hit me too, because I saw your notes and that person that said, have you asked them to? It's like, that's kind of an example of what I would call managing up mm-hmm. to say, right? Hey boss, here's what's going on. Here's what I need. I need your help. You know, cause there have been lots of times where I've gotten that question or request from my people. There's also been lots of other times when I had no idea kind of what was going on. Cause there've been yeah. times in my career I had, you know, a hundred people direct and indirect under me. I can't possibly know day in and day out what everything's going, right? What, what's going on every, every second of every day for, for different people. I want to know those things because if there's something I can do to help, then I want to help. I always used to say, my job as a leader, right, is to remove roadblocks mm. so you guys can do your jobs. That's essentially all I, right? That's kind of how I viewed it. Yeah. But to know. I like that. Yeah. You know, but to know what I should be doing to remove those roadblocks, I need you guys to tell me. I need you to come, you know. And I know, and I know you've, you've talked about this and blogged about this before where, you know, people don't necessarily have to come to you with a solution, right? Because yeah. I think we both read those articles in social media where it's, you know, my employees keep coming to me with their problems and they want me to fix them. It's like, no, I want, you know, bring me three solutions and then we'll work on them together. Well, listen, they may be coming to you because they have no, like, they know what the problem is. They may have no idea, no, mm-hmm. I, no clue. Mm-hmm. And it's unfair, right? I think to hold them, um, to, to bring it up, you know, well, here's what I think. I think a good leader, if they're worth their salt, can help a person work through those things. But again, yeah, yeah. right. That's, that's your job as a leader, as a manager, that's what you're supposed to be doing. It doesn't mean that you're the best accountant or the best engineer or the best whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of good points there and other thought I'll, I'll, I had, um, I think prompted by this article where you could say, ah, oh, you know, complain about physicians aren't engaged. Executives aren't engaged in, in any context. And sometimes I, I think people fall victim to uh, what I sort of called the self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm like, well, they're not going to be engaged. So I'm not even going to try. Like, well, that that's unfair to the people that you're uh, labeling as, as unengaged. At some point, you got to go give it a try. And if anything, you know, follow some PDSA cycles. Uh, I tried to engage them. They seem not to be engaged. Let me talk to them and try to figure out why that is instead of just falling back and dumping on them for not being engaged. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. You're right. It's because it's not fair. Right. Because yeah. you never know. There's, there's, as a, you know, the higher up, I guess, in an organization you go, you, you, you definitely have different sets of metrics and deliverables and expectations and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll tell you, I just, um, up here, there's a, uh, a group that I'm a part of. It's part of the, uh, NTMA and it's the, the Western mass, um, group of, of NTMA. 
So we just had our golf tournament and I invited in, in our foursome, I invited uh, the, the now retired general manager of one of our clients. Mm-hmm. And this place wasn't huge. It was a single location, I don't know, 50 employees or, or so. And, um, and he just retired maybe eight, six, eight months ago. So he's been, his name's Scott. So Scott's been flying around the country. He's got grandchildren in a bunch of different States and California. So, um, you know, he's been spending a lot of time doing that. So right around, you know, the ninth or 10th hole, you know, we're chit chatting, just getting caught up because I hadn't talked to him in a while. And I asked him, you know, how are you, how are you doing with retirement? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, it's so good. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, I said, what's, let me, let me ask you, what's your favorite part? And he says, you know, he goes, I really enjoy not being responsible for anybody else, but me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I can, I can understand that. Cause I can remember, <laughs> yeah. right. As you know, I was a manufacturing engineering manager for a big chunk of my career. And I can just remember getting phone calls and emails about, you know, your engineer did this and I won't, I'll give you an example. There was one that somebody said that one of my engineer engineers uh, leaving the parking lot the couple days before had, had cut them off and they had reported it to security and all this other stuff. And so this person's manager got in touch with me and said, Hey, this is what happened. And I want, and I want, and it was a demand. They're like, I want you to you know, talk with him and I want him written up. And I'm like, wait, a, hang on a second. Like, you know, I'm, I'm his manager within these four walls, but you know, yeah. he's yeah. in the part, like, I don't even know that I'm not the police. Like <laughs> I wasn't there. I didn't hear, yeah. you know, it's like you said you reported it to security, let them like, that's what they're there for. And uh, so I went back and I said, um, you know, I talked to him. He said he didn't do it. And I don't know what you want me to do. And they're, this is unacceptable. You know, they reply back. I'm like, listen, I got, <laughs> I have 50 other things to do to make sure we're getting product out the door. I, you know, I'm not yeah. going to make a big deal with this. So, so I think sometimes people like, you know, they like to think, like you said, well, they'll never go for it. I'm not going to, you know, but I think sometimes we have to take that step back and say, all right, you know, there's got to be a reason. Just like people don't get up every day. And, um, you know, go to work thinking I want to, you know, I'm going to cause problems or I'm not going to do this out of the other. Yeah. That's true for managers and leaders too. Yeah. Yeah. That is really, 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 really well said. So, um, great. So before moving on to there, there's an article, Paul is going to introduce, it's become a bit of a regular segment and maybe I'll run out of pet peeves, but, um, so a segment we call Lean Pet Peeves, the airing of the lean grievances, if you will. Um, always makes me think of Seinfeld and, and Festivus. So here we are. It's Festivus in July. My pet peeve today, um, you know, Jamie and I previously have talked in different episodes about the pet peeve of seeing the word lean in all caps. So my other grammatical capitalization related pet peeve is uh, I see a lot of articles and publications where they talk about lean six sigma and you see lowercase lean and then six sigma with the S's being capitalized. And, you know, it's like six sigma is a proper noun because it's a methodology, I guess. And somehow lean is not. And I even, I, re- I reached out once to the editor of um, the magazine for the, the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers 
about the inconsistency. Like, why do you capitalize Six Sigma but not lean? And he said something about, you know, the, the AP style guide or, you know, it's, it's like a form of journalism standard work. But I'm like, come on, do you, re- do you really? Like, I don't think the AP is going to, you know, uh, it's not like their publication can get uh, blacklisted or banned because they're not following the style guide, I don't think. So that's my pet peeve. If, if we're going to capitalize Six Sigma, I think lean deserves the same honor. What, 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 what do you think, Paul? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I see that too. The other, you know, I'll see, the other one is where they make it an acronym where it's yeah. capital L period, capital E period, right? A yeah. period, N period. And it's like, guys, you know, to your point, let's come up with a standard. It probably should be capitalized and it certainly doesn't play second fiddle to Six Sigma. Yeah. And, and I'm not buying this AP style guide reference it's like that's that smacks of i don't really understand what this is so just i'm just gonna okay so grammar aside paul paul's got a more substantive issue i'd say this is more than a pet peeve but it peeves paul so it's a paul peeve go ahead what's yours there you go thanks so so um yeah so my pet peeve is the um I don't know if predilection is probably just not a word, but on social media, specifically Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, there's lots of articles in our lean community that I have seen over the years that say, you know, X amount of or X percentage of lean transformations fail. And the article <laughs> will go on to talk about all the reasons why. Now I will I will say I agree with those reasons you know and we all know what they are any anybody who's been a lean practitioner I think for any amount of time knows if you don't have support from the top or support right from management right it's not going to work if you use lean as a tool to cut heads and reduce you know workforce that's ultimately it's not going to work so so I'm okay with that what I'm kind of not okay with was after, you know, for my own, my own edification, I said, you know, I thought to myself, I, I, where does all this come from? Cause I know there's really no end all be all survey that says, you know, this, you know, we did this for lean and this didn't work and this failed. So I went digging and I wrote a blog post. I won't reiterate the whole thing um, about lean transformation failure rates so, so the part of it that I'll say is my pet peeve is when I read an article that, that somebody wrote and they quote a specific percentage lean failure rate, mm-hmm. but they don't offer any sort of citation <laughs> right. that says, hey, and this is where I got it from. Because there's so many articles I read that says, well, industry standard is or experts agree. And it's like, not the last time I checked, you know, you know, I've seen anywhere from 50 to 98% and everything in between. So it's like, I wouldn't call that an agreement by any stretch. And I don't think there is a real industry standard. I mean, I think there's a lot of smart people who've seen a lot of, you know, great things and a lot of really awful things. Um, And I think all of the, I think all of that is, is valid, but so that's my pet peeve is when people just quote these percentages and they have absolutely no idea 
you know, any basis, real basis of where they come from. Yeah, it feels like made up numbers or some made up number gets out there and then people start citing the made up number and that doesn't make the made up, doesn't make the made up number any more valid than like pedometers and 10,000 steps. Like that, that's a number that just gets thrown around and like it, it's, uh, it's the basis of incentive programs and corporate healthcare plans. And, you know, we'll give you a lower health insurance rate if you hit 10,000 steps a day. I've read stuff that says that 10,000 steps a day was a number that was basically made up by a Japanese pedometer manufacturer, Omron. That, and I yeah. think in part of it was like they produced a pedometer that showed five digits. So you want to show that off. And therefore, 10,000 is a really cool target because other pedometers could only four, show exactly. four digits and, and and it's not science um you know but it just gets accepted somehow right yeah and that's that's part of what what kind of like you sticks in my craw you know it it's like it's like an urban legend now it just gets repeated over and over and over so it, it takes like it's this life of its own well it must be true because i you know i see it in social media all the time <laughs> right and it's like, yeah, well, yeah. and it, maybe that's my, you know, inner engineer coming out or I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. just me. But to me, it's like, well, I kind of want to at least have some context. And again, I'm not saying that when, when somebody says, in my experience, this is what I see. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. But when yeah, I see. That's an opinion. or a Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But when I see people say, well, you know, industry standard is blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, hang on a sec. You know, that's, right. yeah. So that's, yeah. that's my, my complaint, my pet peeve. I think that's an understandable peeve. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to transition from my grammar peeve and, you know, you, you mentioned the acronym uh, lean with capital letters. Sometimes that jokingly gets articulated as less employees are needed which I guess brings us to the story that, that you've brought to us today, if you want to introduce that. Yep. So this article, um, I, I'm a follower of Industry Week, as probably a lot of folks are. Yeah. And this one caught my attention. Uh, the title is, No, Automation is Not Causing a Decline in Workers' Income. And it was written by this guy, Joe Kennedy, whom I will admit I, I don't know. Uh, I never met him. But, and it's a, it's a relatively short, um, short article. But the reason it caught my attention is, you know, um, most of our clients, probably 60 to 70% of our clients are small to medium-sized manufacturers. And they're directly in this space where it's, you know, they're too big to be a mom and pop shop that are kind of flying by the seat of their pants, but they're not so big that they have, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars that they can invest in. SAP or, you know, any fancy kind of system. So there's a lot of talk about IIoT and industry 4.0 and all that kind of stuff. And we what's get I, questions. I, well, I'm sorry, what's that acronym? Sorry. Oh, sorry. It's um, uh, the industrial internet of things. Ah, okay. I didn't know what the other I was for. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. Um, so there's a lot of talk, you know, we get a lot of questions about that. Like, what should we be doing? What do you see other, you know, what do you see other companies doing? Are we behind? So in this particular article, um, so uh, Joe Kennedy talks about, you know, obviously, right, automation 
And he kind of touches on the whole robotics thing. And he references a Fortune article. Um, and in that article, that guy actually cited some work by two economists. And the short version is um, they seem to think that the decline, you know, we, we talk a lot about skills gap, right? And there's a decline of skilled labor and all that stuff. And, and these guys kind of pin it on automation. And they're saying, well, you know, in, in manufacturing, automation is, is uh, really taken hold and it, you know, it's going to mean a decline in, in labor. And this is all going to ev- kind of even out because baby boomers are retiring and, you know, millennials don't really seem to want to work on a shop floor. So it, it's kind of this perfect storm. <clears throat> and Joe Kennedy goes on he says, well, basically there's two problems with this argument. Um, and, and he goes into the details. I won't berate them here. But the thing that caught my eye is I, you know, I see this a lot too. And I'm sure you do too, Mark, where um, like, for instance, uh, there's a lot of talk about minimum wage. So mm-hmm. minimum wage went up here in Connecticut and, you know, it's on a phased in system. I forget what it is right now. It's like 925 or 975. But there's a lot of talk about, well, if that happens, um, it's going to hurt small businesses. And bigger businesses are going to find ways around it. So at a bunch of McDonald's, they've actually put in those order kiosks, kind of yep. like, like a Panera would have, right? And they're saying, ah, see, I told you so. So instead of having three people taking orders, there's only one person and now we have three kiosks. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Um, but in this article, he talks about, well, listen, you know, we've been automating for a long, long time. You know, and and part of the one of the classes I teach, you know, I talk about the historical timeline of lean, and I say, listen, lean. The term has been around since '88, um, but it's not a new concept. You know, a lot of these things have been around a long time. I think automation, industry 4.0, like it's it's a progression. And I, for one, I don't think robots are going to replace us all. You know, there's this I call it like the I call it the matrix paradigm where there's so many people that think, oh, you know, 20 years from now, it's all going to be robots. And, you know, I always point back to the book 1984 by George Orwell. It's like, listen, you know, some of that came true for sure, but I don't have a flying car in my, you know, in my driveway right now either. You know, so I I agree with um, Joe's summary and I'll I'll read it real quick. He says, uh, in summary, automation has always delivered vast benefits to society. Even in the midst of recessions, no one proposes doing away with existing automation in order to, cre- to create jobs. Just as we would not ban backhoes and mandate that workers only use shovels, we should also embrace, not resist, the continued march of other forms of automation. Given the recent trend of slow productivity go- growth, a skills gap, low unemployment, and the swell of baby boom retirement, we should focus on enriching future workers by encouraging automation. Yeah. So in, in essence, I think he, he hits upon it. And he, that's probably why I picked it, because I kind of like his point. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not one or the other, it's both. You know, I always say, because I, I will get questions sometimes about, you know, because again, I'll, I'll refer to Elon Musk and Tesla. He's, he's talked a lot about, oh, we're going to, you know, I think he made a statement three months ago or whatever. We're going to show the auto industry how to make a car. <laughs> right. And I think you even, yeah. I think you tweeted something about that at the time. You're like, okay. There's, there's a delicious arrogance in a statement yeah. like that, but okay. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, so he's yeah. all about the robots. And I think he, there was an article he talked about digging tunnels 
under the, you know, the super factory he has out to their suppliers so they could deliver things right to the line. And it's like, hmm, uh, that's actually already been done. And they did it without digging tunnels that were, you know, miles long. Yeah. That doesn't, you know. And so I always say, listen, a human is the, is the leanest object tool, you know, if you want to call a person that. Yeah. You know, they'll, I, I can train a human to run circles around a robot like 10 times out of 10. Now, as Elon Musk said, uh, humans are underrated. Yeah, you know, when, right. when, when he failed with some of the attempts to automate things that were really difficult to automate. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, people like to think, oh, robots, they never get sick. They never take time off. They don't take vacation. Yeah. And all those things are true. And as an as a manufacturing oh, engineer, having spent right, I spent twenty some odd years doing this stuff. Robots are great at doing one thing, but that's all they yeah. can do. And the day will come when your product is going to change, or that product goes away, or whatever is going to happen. And then that robot that you spent all that time and money and effort, right, building and working on and perfecting, just became the biggest paperweight, right, that yeah. that you have on your shop floor. Versus a human, right? Hey, I need you to not put this purple cap on. I need you to now tighten these seven bolts, right? It's like, great. That takes, you know, 10 minutes. And you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. The human capacity will, to me, far exceeds automation and robotics. Yeah. Well, there's that, um, you know, when you talk about that expression around robots, can't get sick. Well, they do break down. I mean, there are problems with robots. Um, but, you know, I think like you were saying, robots today can't improve a process. I don't know if there's some sort of artificial intelligence world where robots will be able to participate in Kaizen. But, you know, one, one, one thing that's sort of uh, maybe is a pet peeve for me, or maybe it's more important than a pet peeve, is when lean gets confused with automation. And I think, you know, those are two very different things. Toyota doesn't, like when I was at General Motors, here we go back into auto industry war stories, GM was absolutely trying to automate process, um, automate processes to automate people out of the flow because I think General Motors management, I'm generalizing and I'm one and a half whiskeys in here. <laughs> GM management hated people. Mm-hmm. Or they 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 had a bad, such a bad relationship with the UAW, they thought it was in their interest to eliminate those pesky people. Where Toyota, you know, talks about automation that supports workers mm-hmm. when safety or quality is an issue, which is a a totally you know I think lean is a, a totally different philosophy. It's not anti technology or anti automation, but it, it's using automation in a different way. Right. Yep. Hundred percent agree. It's it's. It, like I said, it's not one or the other, it's both. And, and it's all about, right. I mean, it doesn't Toyota say, you know, we don't hire people for their hands. We hire them for their brains or we hire them yeah. to think. Yeah. The thinking production system as they call it. Right. That it, I mean, that's so powerful. And, and, you know, I, there's obviously there's other conversations in social media about, you know, why isn't lean more successful and, and, getting back to this whole lead transformation yeah. failure discussion, you know, why haven't more people or more companies like, like grabbed onto it and why isn't this the way they do things? And, and to me, it's like, well, I, 
I mean, there's pieces of it, I think, that that sometimes are beneficial. And I mean, I'm a lean guy. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in it. And I've, I've been at, uh, been part of organizations that have done it real well. And I've been at other organizations that, that haven't done it so well. Yeah. Um, and I can see and feel, I'll tell you, one of the, um, when I was in the auto at the tier one manufacturer, one of my jobs was I, I took a developmental assignment in South Carolina because we won the North American content for the, when Toyota uh, localized the Camry. So they actually built a transmission plant in Buffalo, West Virginia, and their torque converter supplier was in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And where I was, was in around Greenville, South Carolina. And when I traveled to those plants on supplier visits and that kind of stuff, the difference in the culture was palpable. Mm -hmm. So I will, you know, put my right hand up and say, I can see the difference. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's a difficult paradigm shift. And I think sometimes, you know, people are like, well, you know, and we have this conversation with some clients, even in 2019, they'll say, well, everything you're talking about sounds fine, but we've been here for 65 years. You know, it's a good business. We're making money. Granted, maybe we could make more, maybe things could be a little bit better, but we don't have to. And that's ultimately, I think, maybe one of the, one of the speed bumps that we run into as lean practitioners and, and these conversations around why isn't this, you know, more widely accepted? Because I just, you know, people have been successful without it. So I think there's still some, I don't know what the right word is, uh, reluctance on their part to kind of step out and maybe do something different because maybe they don't see the need. I I don't know. Yeah. Well, you you talked earlier about this being kind of a longstanding concern. I mean, when, when today, if someone's being, quote unquote, resistant to technology, they sometimes get called the Luddite. Well, the Luddites, I mean, that goes back to the 19th century, where if I remember my history correctly, English workers, factory workers were concerned about automation and Luddites would literally go like smashing equipment and destroying equipment so it couldn't take away their jobs. And um, economies evolve, but but what, what sucks is when it's your job, that's automated away or replaced, right? So there's this challenge. I guess this is a societal question. How do you keep moving the economy forward when individuals and their their paychecks and their families are are being disruptive? And I, I don't expect either of us to have solutions to that, right. but yeah. These are these are difficult issues. I'll say, in my humble opinion, and and although I just I just uh outed people for doing this exact thing, I, I will fall victim to to the same, you know, making the same mistake. What I see, in my opinion, in my experience, far more jobs are lost, especially in automotive, because they just get moved to low-cost labor wow. countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not because versus, of automation. Yeah, not because of automation, right? Because some accountant or an MBA somewhere does the math, and they say, yeah, it's going to cost us $10 million to move but that payback is five years. And then after that, it's all gravy, right? Um, One of the classes um, that I teach is about employee engagement. And I use audio from uh, 
uh, when Carrier, and this this was in the news because it was right around the election, right before, you know, so so President Trump actually had gotten involved and he had said, I'm going to make sure that these jobs all stay here. This was a Carrier plant in Indiana. Oh, right. I remember. And that. right. So they announced that like 800 or 1100 jobs were going to move to Mexico. Well, there was cell phone camera footage that got uploaded to YouTube from that factory that uh, um, when they announced, made the announcement that all those jobs are going away. And I use some of that audio mm-hmm. in one of the classes I teach about how not to right, talk to your employees and engage with them and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. so that's why I say I see far more, and especially having been in automotive, um, you know, there were plenty of times when you know, I saw, well, this plant's closing and, you know, these, it's moving to Mexico or it's moving to Brazil or, or, you know, wherever. And it's all, uh, you know, it's all because labor is so much cheaper. So I see that as a bigger, a bigger issue than I do automation. I'm actually hopeful with automation that that can help keep jobs here, Mm. you know, because I think that again, if we can figure out what the secret sauce is and what the right mix is, and like you said, automation is there to support the worker, not take a right. job away. Yeah. Um, and that gets back to the culture piece. And maybe that's another part of the whole lean uh, adoption discussion. Yeah. Um, right. It's, it's, you know, with the right culture, then maybe these people aren't going to be so skeptical. But they have a lot of evidence to support them being skeptical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And on uh, a... Uh, I'll add a, another article to the mix here and I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes too. I don't know, Paul, if you heard about what Amazon announced. Here's a headline from the Wall Street Journal. Amazon to retrain a third of its U.S. workforce. And the subheadline says, as technology reshapes roles, the online retailer plans to retrain 100,000 workers and new skills from machine learning to nursing, hmm. which I think is a, a really, really interesting commitment there. Um, it says they're going to expand training programs, help people find more advanced jobs inside the company or new careers outside of it. It's voluntary and is mostly free for employees and won't obligate them to remain at Amazon. The wow. company says. So no, I hadn't heard that one or yeah. seen that. Yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll share that link with you, Paul. And Okay. I'll let you take a look at that. So, you know, as we start to wrap up here, um, you know, we had a lot of a lot of good discussion here. Sometimes we like to throw a random question into the mix. So, I think everyone listening here, and especially if they're still listening, um, you know, to, uh, to to the episode here, uh, there's probably there, there's definitely an interest in lean. There might be an interest in whiskey. By definition, if someone's listening to the podcast, they probably like podcasts. So, Paul, what's a podcast? That's not about lean. Is there a non-lean podcast that you really like? There, there, there is. Um, it's funny that you you ask because I've been binge listening to this new one called the Crime Junkie podcast, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's run by uh, two women. I believe they're in uh, Indiana, um, and I just I was honestly I was just like I said I have an iPhone, so I was flipping through my iPhone and I, I listened to you know, all the, all the usual suspects when it comes to lean. Um, and I'm like, I just need something else just to break it up. Cause not for nothing. Right. But I, I log a fair bit of windshield time as a consultant. Yeah. Right? So I cover all the Northeast. So I, I, I came across this one. It, it came up on my like top rated one. Um, 
list. So I, I got hooked on it really quick. It's, it's a new one every week. And they talk about unsolved. It's mostly unsolved murders or, or missing mm-hmm. people. So it is a little morbid, but they, yeah. they, you know, it's not all bad news. I mean, they follow these cases and, you know, a lot of times the people get caught and they talk about, you know, the, you know, how DNA testing has, has changed. And they're actually just recently in, on recent episodes, they talk about genealogy testing, like 23andMe and, you know, all that kind of stuff where they're actually, those places can actually help narrow things down without having necessarily an actual DNA sample, um, mm. you know, from suspects and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's really super interesting. It's really well edited and well done. So if you're looking for a break, uh, you know, and, and I can say as an engineer, I can appreciate the, uh, the sequence by which they tell the stories. It's very satisfying you know from a chronological standpoint so the story gets told in in a really pleasing way even though you know some of the you know the topic itself is a little scary and i'll tell you my wife uh i was coming home from a client uh a couple weeks ago so i was like an hour hour and a half away from home and i call you know i always call just to check in and it was a really like this particular time, it was a really short conversation and it just felt funny. So mm-hmm. I think I got in my own head a little bit. So I called her back in like 10 minutes and, and I said, she's like, you know, obviously she's, you know, I just talked to her. She's like, yeah. I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. Why? She, I'm like, if, you know, anything's wrong, if somebody's in the house, you know, just cough twice. And she's, she's like, Paul, what is the matter with you? You know, she's like, you, and she knew exactly. She's like, you have to stop listening to that podcast. It's like freaking you out. I'm like, all right, fine. You know, so, but it, like I said, I, it's my new favorite. I think I've binged, you know, I'm up to, I, I do like three episodes a day. So I'm like yeah. working my way through because they've been around for a couple of years. Um, yeah. I'm almost all caught up, but yeah, it's really well done. I think the listeners might get it. Might, might enjoy it. Uh, often, uh, maybe, maybe my wife already listens to this one because she likes um, the true crime podcasts and some of the the TV shows. And so I'll mention that one to her. Um, the, the one that I mentioned or that the, that I was going to mention that I listened to because um, I'm busy during the day. There's an ESPN radio show that's also available as a podcast, uh, the Dan Lebitard show. And you know, it's 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 kind of a lighthearted show. It's a a sports show that that's not always about sports. It's just a group of people just kind of talking, having a good time. Um, so I, I enjoy that because um, it's not just uh, analyzing which pitcher is going to get traded at the deadline, or you know, it's not it's not your typical kind of sports argument show. But but um, one one thing, kind of running gag on the show that. Um, makes me chuckle is that when, when different people on the show make different types of mistakes, they sort of have like, they have, they, they literally have like a fine system. So if one of them, uh, the one co-host reads something wrong off the internet, that's uh, and someone will yell like, Oh, that's a fine. It's like a $2 fine. And they have a bucket. And if he, if he says like, Oh, I don't have any money on me today. They're like, well, that's an additional $5 <laughs> for not having money. And if if Dan Levitard, the main host, um, has tone issues, he'll get a five dollar fine for tone. And 
So it's just some running gag, but you know, it makes me think about workplaces and we try to punish people for, for doing the, for making mistakes. And there were, there was one episode and I saved the clip and I still need to blog about it where somebody, one of them was talking about how like, you know, we have this fine system and, and we're collecting all this money and it's not really preventing the behavior <laughs> that they're trying to prevent with the fines. And I thought there was actually kind of a good lesson there and maybe yeah. like, like squeezing blood from a, 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 a rock. I try to find a lean angle in everything or I can't help it. But that, that's one of the things I enjoy uh, about the Dan Levitard show. So that, that's one I listen to as a podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. But if you like traditional sports radio, you might not like the Dan Levitard show. When you've got, when you've got your windshield time, Paul, I'll be curious, uh, be curious what you think. Yeah, no, honestly, I, I think I'd probably, well, I'll give it a shot. I can't, I can't, I won't predict what I'll like, it, but I got to tell you, I'm pretty much over this, the whole, yeah. One of the things that, here's my, here's another pet peeve. It's, and you mentioned it, it's these, um, these sports shows where they just yell at each other. You know, it's like two or three guys and it's like, well, this, you know, especially here, like football season's kicking off, right? So I'm a New England Patriots yeah. fan, which I know, most of your listeners are gonna right most because everybody in New England loves them and everybody else hates them. But no, uh, the Patriots are terrible. I know they're cheaters. <laughs> I know I've heard it all. But let's talk about Deflate Gate next. Right. Yep. Please, by all means, let's get it. Right. But but um, that's a lot of what we have. You know, it's like well, there's this and there's that, and it's and it won't even just you know, it's not even just New England sports. It's you know, this whole, I, you know, I don't know what it is. And it seems to be proliferating. You know, I just, I made a comment on a friend's LinkedIn post about, um, you know, it, it seems like we can't discuss topics anymore without people taking some extreme position. And I don't know if it's a learned behavior because it it certainly does right and and like we're just talking these sports shows it always seems to be there's one person on one side and the other person on the other side and they're just like yelling back and forth and and I don't really you know me personally I don't get anything out of it no, no. six sigma is terrible that's the worst thing ever how dare you no right, <laughs> right? it's this it's it's this whole us versus them and I'm not sure uh, right right I guess I don't know why. I don't know why it's, it has it's, to. It's, it, it, yeah, I mean, ESPN has fallen victim to the cable news business model of realizing it's cheaper to have unpaid people yell at each other than it is to actually report news. Right. And ESPN, usually the people yelling at each other are paid employees. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that 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 gets exhausting sometimes. Yeah, it's just, it's not enjoyable. So I'll look forward to given this, you know, it, Dan, it was a Dan, Dan Levitard, Levitard. So yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Cause yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I a think, three, it's a three, it's a three hour radio show, but like the, the quote unquote best of podcast usually comes in at about an hour because, you know, an hour of radio is only like 35 minutes without the commercials. Sure. <laughs> and the podcast has very few commercials. So nice. Anyway, that's that's one that I enjoy and uh, recommend to others. So, hey, uh, we'll we'll wrap up. Paul, did you did you uh, did you finish your whiskey? Did you enjoy? I, your yeah, it, yeah, I did, I did, and I will. I gave myself a heavy pour. 
here on the because I knew we were doing this. So I'm like, ah, I got to make sure I have enough. So I did. <laughs> the ice is gone. So I just drink it on the rocks. So I, yeah. right, fill it up three okay. quarters of the way with drink. ice and pour it over. Yeah, drink drink it how you like it. That that's that's the standard work I subscribe to. Right. So um, our our Paul today. <laughs> I swear it's only, I, I did pour a little bit more. It's only one and a half, but it's also getting late on a Sunday night. I was going to say our Paul today was a guest, but um, <laughs> what I meant to say was our guest today, guest host was Paul Critchley. Um, Paul, thanks for joining us. How, how can people find you online if you want to plug uh, the website, social media addresses? Yep. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. It's just me, Paul Critchley. Um, uh, Twitter, I am at N-E Lean Guy for a New England Lean Guy. I'm also on Instagram for those who are interested, uh, same handle. And then our website is just uh, newenglandlean.com. So feel free, jump in there. And like I said, I haven't blogged in a while, but uh, there was a while there I was on a pretty good tear. So I, I've got some I, I've got some ones on there that I'm proud of. I also have links out to uh, articles I've written at Industry Week and Quality Magazine, as well as links to the ones I wrote for you, Mark, to, to lean yeah. blog. So you can find all that stuff website too. Great. And I'll link to that in the show notes. You can find show notes and you can find past episodes by going to leanwhiskey.com. You can spell whiskey K-E-Y or K-Y. The lean whiskey, either format goes to the same place, depending on which part of the world and which spelling you prefer. You can also go to leanblog.org slash lean whiskey. And we encourage you to also Look for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, other places you might normally find podcasts. And uh, if you like the podcast, please uh, rate and review in addition to subscribing. So uh, with that here, Paul, I'm going to pour just a little tiny splash more in the glass uh, to to say uh, thank you, Paul Critchley, for, for joining us. We'll say cheers. Have one more sip. All right. Cheers, Mark. I will. I will join you. I have a little bit left. Here, I'll hold. Here, cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening, Paul. Thanks for. Uh, thanks for joining me here today. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was. It was a blast. I had a lot of fun.